RadioInfluence.com. You've seen Chef Brian Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Good morning, everybody. It's Friday. Yep, it's Friday. It's been uh, it's been fun for the last week. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, last week's conversation with Josh Denny. Uh, Josh is a great dude. I love him. Total Philly guy, uh, but living that L.A. life now. So he's out there doing the keto diet and playing around in that world. Um, but Josh is just just crushing it on Food Network right now with the uh, uh, with Ginomer's food and everything that's going on out there. So it's kind of cool. Um, but uh, so just to kind of get a couple things out of the way here, as you guys know, we have a new sponsor for the show. We're talking about noggin wear. You guys know how much I love hats. You know how much I love to sport a fat lid to run a little bit that way. Uh, and I do. And noggin wear has done my hats uh, for the last year and a half. So they are doing some custom hats for me. They're doing hats for all the restaurants. Um, do you guys know that they also have a subscription so that you can get hats every month? Um, and they, they run like, I think it's $139 for a three month or six month subscription. So definitely go over and check out Noggin where tell Scott and the boys that I sent you over there and have a little bit of fun with it. All right. That's what I got. Noggin Go check them out. Nogginware.com. Put a fat lid on your head. Noggin So here we, uh, so here we go. So, um, I am actually sitting right now in a hotel in Spokane, Washington, um, Coming up here for the uh, Crave Northwest, kind of a fun food and wine event. There's like 50 chefs that are going on up here, and it's like a three-day event going through Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Actually, it's a four-day event because when you guys hear this, um, it'll be Friday actually. But um, they're also doing stuff on Saturday night, like a grand tasting, and then Sunday – they're doing a whole Father's Day brunch. Now, I'm flying back Sunday, so it's not going to be uh, anything uh, super crazy for me. But I'm really stoked to get out here, and it was a big deal uh, for me to come out and kind of be able to hang out and um, do something fun. So uh, so I actually hooked up with the guys from Lone Wolf Harley-Davidson who uh, were kind enough to uh, to get me a bike to be able to ride. Um, so I uh, had a friend out here with me, and we rode out to uh, – we rode all the way from Spokane up into um, – through Idaho up into – um, Montana, where this crazy, this awesome little place called Sandpoint, which is at the top of um, these lakes that are just south of Canada. So one of the neat things about them, um, it's actually in the uh, the the Sioux National Forest. So Sandpoint is in um, Idaho. And then as we crossed over, went into a little town called Noxon and Trout Creek down into Thompson Falls and Plains. Um, and we're able to hang out at uh, uh, down in Missoula. Uh, the rain was just maniacal as we were driving down. A four-and-a-half-hour trip took about seven hours to get through just with traffic and um, the road conditions and whatnot. And then the rain started to come down, so it was pretty uh, pretty insane. But heading back yesterday or uh, on Wednesday – 
were able to run up into Glacier National Park, which was just absolutely beautiful. If you ever get a chance to get up into the Pacific Northwest that way, um, go up and check it out. It's just south of Canada. Um, it is uh, this beautiful, beautiful area. Unfortunately, going up to the top of the mountain was closed. So it's, uh, it's an area called Going to the Sun Road, which is like a 50-mile stretch that goes all the way up to the mountain. But apparently there was just too much snow that was going on up there. So but um, so Lone Wolf uh, puts me on this 2015 street glide um, that rode just kind of all the way up in north, take, you know, kind of went west or I'm sorry, went east a little bit and to Coeur d'Alene and then all the way up to Sandpoint, like I had said, in through the forest and then back down through, which was pretty wild. So um, stopped at a couple fun little bars along the way, just some cool spots, stopped in this awesome little uh, place called the Dixon Bar, which is in Dixon, Montana, which is uh, I'm not kidding you. It was like a throwback to the 60s. Um, there was a woman who was sitting in there uh, by herself. She was the owner of the bar. Her husband actually owns the bar. It's been in her family's uh, – it's been in her husband's family for 66 years. Um, I got a Budweiser and that Budweiser was $2.50. Um, and I, my friend got a beer called Rene, Rene. I guess it's a Washington beer um, that was like two fifty as well. So it was like a $5 uh, bar tab to have one beer on the side of the road. Um, in this literally – I mean there was – it was somebody's living room that had a bar and bar stools in it. Enough crap on the walls to, to, to go through the history of this place for the entire 66 years. Musty cat in there with no tail broken down truck outside for sale sign on the outside Michelob uh, sign in the window just a hodgepodge of shit everywhere you looked and it was a really cool dive bar fun part is if that were back east and that were in Philadelphia uh, that would be a bar that I would hang out in with the exception of the cat because I'm not a cat guy at all. I'm not a fun – cats just – they just bother me <clears throat> basically because I'm allergic to them. But, you know, they're kind of pissed off. I think cats are pissed off all the time. So for all of you cat people that I just pissed off, I apologize. So so uh, heading headed back into Spokane. So went all the way up into Sandpoint, into Idaho, back down into Montana, dropped down into Missoula where it rained so hard that I took a video yesterday uh, on Tuesday – that the Weather Channel actually asked if they could borrow it to post it. So I haven't seen it posted yet, and I haven't had a new increase in followers. So Weather Channel, get your shit together. Let's make that happen. Let's get that up there. I need more followers. You know I'm joking. Uh, so – uh, this just the rain was unbelievable coming down the side of the mountain down into this river, creating these wild, wild rapids that were directly outside of the hotel room, um, went from there and uh, rented a car like there was nothing we could do. The rain was so bad throughout the day that we had to rent a car and then drive up into Glacier. So it was like a four hour trip, I guess. Um, we drove up into Whitefish, ended up grabbing a hotel in Whitefish, going up to Glacier afterwards. Um, and we're so tired by the end of the day that didn't even go out. Didn't even do anything. So kind of look back and forth. Like you want to go to a, do you want to go to a casino? You want to go out to dinner? Cause there's like, they call them casinos out here, but they're just basic little gambling halls. Um, and they're like every 50 yards. I mean, it's, it's like a seven 11 back East. They're just every single place that you look, they're all over. Um, but, but not to kind of take away when it went into the, so Wednesday drove from Missoula or drove from Whitefish down, back down to Missoula, dropped the car off, grabbed the bike at the hotel, hopped back on the bike, went from Missoula 
up into this little place called Plains, which is where the hot springs are. And it's, I guess, one of the biggest, um, most, you know, kind of widely run or more organized hot springs that they have out here. It's called Quinn's. And the, uh, the springs themselves are very, very, very healing. And my friend that was with me is very into healing. And we're going to talk to her on the show at one point. But um, just a super, super cool chick who is really into healing and has been healing herself for the last couple of years with some stuff that was going on there. And just thought it would be a really cool kind of stop to head into these. Check out these mineral hot springs. Um, it smells like somebody farted. I'm not going to lie to you. It smells like somebody farted for hours upon hours. Um, you walk over to the pool and there are a series of six pools. So there's one kind of main pool that was at 96 degrees. And then the next pool that you hop into is 98. The next one was 103. The next one was 105. And the next one was 108. I think. And then the one after that was at 61. So it's like all these old people and us, you know, like just sitting in these pools that smell like a big old fart. Um, there's silica gel that kind of forms on the top and floats through all the water. And that's because there's such a high mineral content in this water and the healing effects that it has for you. Um, do I feel better today? I don't know. My skin looks pretty damn good. I'll tell you that. Um, but that's because I'm tan uh, from being on the bike. But it was uh, really a neat experience and met some very, very nice people. Um, one, com- one couple was from Coeur d'Alene, uh, which is in Idaho, uh, just east of uh, Spokane. I'm a really neat boat town, which I think I'm going to try to hop on the bike and we're going to run over there today, go in and have some lunch and then come back out because tonight is the seafood bash for crave Northwest. Um, so I, I do cool events all over the country. It's one of the things that I love about my job. I do appearances, I do cooking demonstrations And this one was something that I was just super excited for because of the fact that I got to play with Lone Wolf and I got to work with everybody from Crave. And, you know, I mean, to fly out here and get here to a part of the country or the part of the world in reality that I've never been, um, as I talk about all the time, is all about experiences and trying to find new things. So I I rarely say no to stuff like that. So if anybody has these food and wine events that you guys do and they're really cool in your town and you want to bring me in or do something like that, I do that. So it's not a commercial for me. It's really more of a commercial for experience. So um, I I get involved as involved as I can. You want me to do media events, I do all that stuff for you. You know, I like to see these things grow. I like to watch them grow and to say that I was a part of it. It's something that I take pride in. You know, when I get up on a stage and do a demonstration and teach you what it is that I'm doing, um, that's something that I really like to do. So for this event, the dish that I'm doing is a cacio pepe, but it's being done as a car as a carbonara style as well. Because one of the things that they said to me, there's a food, the woman who kind of oversees all the food portion of this for all 50 of these chefs, her name is Celine. I actually met her at dinner last night. Um, very, very nice woman, very, very organized, very detailed, which is really neat to see because a lot of times you show up and it's like, Hey, well, here's your food. You're going to need to do this and you're going to need to do that. Like she was like, Hey, your, your, your pork belly is going in the sous vide tomorrow. So it's going to be perfectly ready for you on Saturday. And I'm excited to see you here. And this is already being done. And I ordered your pasta. She ordered my pasta for me, which we're doing a uh, pepperdelli, uh, which is a wider fettuccine. It's about twice the size of a fettuccine. I love a thick, big, fat noodle like that. And I would normally do like a bucatini or something like that. But in this case, we did a pappardelle. Um, and so the original form of uh, Alfredo is known as cacio pepe, which is pasta 
black pepper, pecorino romano, and pasta water. Okay, so you cook your pasta water and you cook your pasta, super heavily salted water. You get your stuff going. You toast off that black pepper in the pan. You add your pasta water to it. Then you add your pasta to it. You reduce it down just a little bit. The starch from that pasta starts to cook out. And it starts to thicken that sauce. And then you hit it with that Pecorino Romano. And that super sharp, like amazingly nutty, creamy flavor starts to pour out and really thicken that sauce up. Now, I do things a little bit weird. I add in a chipotle flake to it. I'm adding in some uh, some foraged fava beans. They got some fresh peas that they had found out here. We got some foraged wild mushrooms that we're doing as well. And we're going to do a beautifully seared pork belly on the base of it because traditional carbonara has bacon in it or, or – um, I'm sorry, pancetta. So uh, I'm doing a little bit of a different version. Y'all know how much I like to cook classically with my own twist. But this is really a dish that I'm super stoked about doing. So I'm hoping that we will uh, be able to just bang this out of the park when I get up on stage. Try to have as much fun with it as possible. There's going to be a lot of people out here. So, um, and then it kind of my kind of finish for this whole dish is one of my signatures, which is a poached egg. And I and I do it really simply by taking a piece of plastic, um, some olive oil that I that I kind of brush through the inside of that plastic. Some really good fresh ground salt, some really good fresh ground black pepper. Sometimes I'll put herbs in there, or I'll shave off some bacon um, and do kind of a fun kind of play on that. Then you pop the egg in it. You pick that plastic up on each side, and then you wrap that plastic with a little bit of string, tie it around a skewer, dip it in some boiling water before you put your pasta in, like two and a half minutes, and you should have a perfectly, quote unquote, poached egg to try it. So try it out next time you guys do a dish like this. Um, but if you're out here and you're in Spokane, Washington, and it's Friday, come on over and say hi. Come on over to Crave. Check it out. It's a beautiful festival. So um, I don't want to sit here and do plugs for Crave all day long. I want to talk about about a couple of other things that are going on. Um, you know, last week I talked uh, pretty passionately about the idea of what's going on with, um, you know, being present in your business. And uh, a very good friend of mine, Panini Pete, who is a very, very successful operator who uh, just won the best sandwich shop in Alabama. Uh, Panini's been on the show before. He and I have spoken. You guys have heard my, me talk about him because of the fact that he's not only an amazing chef throughout the country and a very, very good operator and restaurateur, he's also a friend. You know, he's somebody that I confide in and somebody that I talk to because, you know, in this business, we all can sit around and bitch and moan, but great conversations happen when you talk to Panini because one of the cool parts about that is that Panini understands he's done it. He's a graduate of CIA. Um, I'm, I'm not blowing Panini right now. He's just a good friend who I'm going to kind of talk to you guys about what happened after last week's conversation. So uh, Panini's just a great operator. Like I said, he's got a beautiful place down in Destin. He's getting a tremendous amount of press right now. He just did a whole bunch of stuff with um, Tyler Florence and Guy Fieri's coming back into town to do a quick little uh, triple D with him, as well as talk to him about his new spot that's Sunset Point. Um, so if you guys are down in Alabama, check out Panini. Um, I'm going to have him back on the show because he's, he's a really very interesting guy. Um, and I really enjoy kind of his thought process for what he does in comparison to some of the stuff that I do because he's got casual sandwich shops. I've got a casual restaurant. You know, we do a lot of burgers and pizzas and wings and really fun stuff like that. But, um, so have a conversation or listen to the conversation. What am I talking about? Hold on. Let me back up here. I'm going to talk to you guys about that conversation because Panini and I had a great conversation yesterday that we were talking not only about being present in your business, but your employees. And I, 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 uh, I have been 
just searching upon searching for employees that get it, that are out there and understand what it is that we're trying to do. And this all came to, you know, I've been talking about it for the last couple of years about employees and doing the hiring process and interviewing and the lack of formality that there is with a lot of the employees that we're starting to take a look at. People are showing up in jeans and t-shirts. People are showing up with a lack of respect. They have no idea about the business that they're going in to work for. They have no idea who the owners are. They have no idea what the concept of the restaurant is. There's, it's almost like we're, we're, they're just so unprepared to go to work because they walk in casual and what's happening these days is people are just hiring to fill spots, which is not the way that we're supposed to hire. You need to hire, you need to retrain, retain, and you need to retrain your staff so that everybody kind of keeps on board. And my last GM, you guys heard me bitch about him last week. Look, I'll bitch about him all day because he's an asshole. Um, he, uh, you know, he hired just to hire people. He was an uninspired person, uh, who did not have a, the, the motivation within himself to really be able to execute at the higher level. Again, as a human being, he was a wonderful person. Him and I got along very, very well as, as, as people, as friends. But what it came down to was his inability to execute, his inability to really hire and retain and train a quality staff. So we lost a lot of people in the restaurant over the last bunch of weeks um, because they were just bad hires. They were just not quality people. And you know, I, I say it all the time that people don't quit a job, they quit people. So employees don't quit jobs, they quit people. If they don't feel inspired, they don't feel like they're learning or gaining something. And in reality, when it comes to servers or front of house, if they're unorganized or they're just not making money, then they're going to roll. You know, some of them will hang out for a while because they trust the people or they believe in the people that they're going to lead them to that point. But ultimately it comes down to those people that are being the quote unquote leaders are not doing what they're supposed to do. So people quit. You know, I go into the restaurant every now and then. I do culture sessions. I sit down with my staff. I have conversations about what it is that I require from them. I talk about it ad nauseum, about the idea of had. We had an opportunity. Nuts, non-negotiable, unalterable terms, systems, and standards. These are things that I require in the restaurant. And I had a conversation with a bartender who we were starting to give some responsibility to about three weeks ago. And I, I... I was talking about the greeting and I was talking about certain things that I like to see. I like to see a bartender reach over the bar and shake the hand of somebody. There's a personal connection and that happens there. You drop a menu down, you drop a business card down, you drop a coaster down. All of these things have a purpose to get to the, there's a process to get to the final purpose. The process is you walk over, you shake their hand. Hey, my name's Brian Duffy. It's a pleasure to meet you. Uh, what's yours? Oh, my name's Bob. Great, Bob. Let me do me do me a favor. Here's a copy of our menu. I want you to take a look at it. One of my favorite items on here are the smoked wings. Okay, boom. Simple introduction. Pop my card down when I hand when I have a conversation with you. I drop my card on the bar so you can see what my name is. You want to remember it? You're going to pop that in the back pocket. You want a good experience or bad experience? That card's going to be there in the back pocket. Because trust me, if you have a bad experience, there's chances are that you're a Yelp asshole and you're going to go out and talk shit about people. But we'll have a whole nother show just based on Yelp because. I'm going to call customer service again and talk to them. And I'm going to do that on a whole nother episode. But 
what I am trying to do is I'm trying to instill a culture into people and some standards. Like I want you to be interactive with people because no matter how big we are, we're still a corner bar. We're still a neighborhood location. People aren't driving to brewery town as much um, because it's, you know, it was not the greatest area. So we really need to be a, a local spot before we can be a global spot. And I talk about that all the time within marketing within your four walls, but that happens with your staff and the, the training of your staff. So for me, there's a business card that everybody gets. They pop it down on the table. Everybody knows who you are. There's a coaster that should be placed down. We're a beer hall. First and foremost, I sell beer. I make money off of beer. We have a tremendous amount of beer that we go through 384 kegs. It's something like 22,000 ounces we've gone through in the last couple of months. You know, we sell beer, but if I put a coaster down on the table, your brain is automatically trained to put something on that coaster, whether it be a glass of water or a Coke, if you want to kill yourself or or a, uh, which by the way, if Coke ever wants to sponsor me, I just got rid of that fucking thing. So, or you can put a beer on it. You know, it's an automatic kind of, it's, it's in sight. It's inside your brain. It's something that says, I have to put something there. It's instinctual. Something that says, I have something has to go on there. So you're going to order a drink, a beverage, whatever it is that goes on top of that coaster. So I sit in front of this, this bartender and she's very nervous and she is uh, very uncomfortable sitting in front of us. It's my partner. It's me. It's my GM. It's my chef. And she was very uncomfortable because she was friends with the GM and the chef prior to this. And she said, I need to let you guys know that I am, um, I'm, I want to give you guys my two weeks. She said, I don't want to, but I have to, I'm not making money. I'm very unhappy with, with the way that things are being done. And she's like, I'm tired of being the only person who does this and that with the cleaning and the setting up and everything else, which really falls back on the GM and the bar manager who should be taking care of that stuff. So she's quitting people. Okay. She's not quitting the job. She's quitting people. She wasn't making the money that she wasn't uh, initially. She felt that she was passed over on a couple of things. And then the final statement of hers, which was that she felt as if I was stifling her personality, which is so funny to hear because, you know, how many times have you been in a job and you're not able to show your personality? How many times have you worked for somebody who, you know, I mean, you're in a job setting, you're job is to do what it is that 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 owner or that boss or that supervisor is telling you to do that's what it is look i'm not telling you that i want you to go out front and spin plates on a stick on the top of your nose while shooting fireworks out of your ass i'm telling you that i want to drop a fucking coaster on a bar i'm telling you that i want you to shake somebody's hand i want you to have a nice greeting when you walk up to somebody this isn't about your personality this is about the culture of this business when you get the basics of the culture of the business, then your personality can show through. I have a staff that works in this restaurant right now that look, I changed my, my uniform for the summer. You know, we went from the dark jeans, dark shoes, black aprons, black t-shirts over to, you guys can wear shorts, skirts, whatever you want to wear. You know, wear our t-shirt, wear it proud, wear it clean, put the apron on there, do what it is that you got to do, but wear our uniform with pride. And then from there, go to the table, drop the card, drop the coaster, drop the greeting. It's that simple. It's called culture. It's what we have. And unfortunately, we have raised this. And she was a 23-year-old girl who was a beautiful woman with a great brain on her, on her shoulders, you know, great brain in her head. And she was a great worker. But she got it up her butt that she didn't want to do this greeting. You know, and we have, have raised, we're raising a culture of choices, we give choices every single day to our staff, to our children. 
to our students. You know, I, I, talk, I look at back at my girls who are 16 and 13, who I give them choices, but I give them choices because they're responsible. You know, hey, girls, what do you want to do for dinner tonight is a really simple response. I let them choose their places. But I also say to my girls, you know, you have a choice today. You can either take out the trash or you can rake the lawn. You know, these are things that I want them to get done because I'm a tough dad and that's the way that I was raised. I was raised as I had chores. I had responsibilities on a daily basis. And it's funny because a friend of mine said to me yesterday, do you let your girls buy whatever it is that they want to buy? Well, my girls have credit cards. You know, they have their own debit cards that I put an allowance in, plus they work. Emily works at the restaurant. Fiona does work for me. Fiona's 13 years old, and this kid, this kid sets up uh, Excel spreadsheets for me. Ready for this? I pay her $125 to do them because it takes her like two hours. And I can either hand that off to somebody who's 40 years old who wants to do it, or I can have my daughter do it. And I'm not going to discount the work that she does because it takes about the same amount of time. And oddly enough, she does it, and she does it with, with a smile on her face. Okay. So we have raised a, a, we're raising a nation of pussified people. And that's a horrible term and it's a horrible way, but we are raising people that just are not following the basics of rules because we give options all the time. She sat in front of me and said, I do not want to do the greeting and I do not want to do the handshake. And I knew the direction that this was going to go. And she said, and I said, okay, so let me ask you a question because she was a good employee. So I'm willing to allow you to come up with a greeting and your staff, which had happened before. I had given the responsibility of a greeting to four servers and a general manager and said, you guys come up with a greeting. As long as it hits these points right here, I'm fine with it. So I gave them a greeting that I had set up that was long and wordy and lengthy, but they had an opportunity then to go and do their own greeting. So everybody agreed to the greeting until the greeting has to be enforced. Because remember, I'm tough on standards and easy on people. I hold people accountable for a standard that they're not doing, not for, you know, if you're not trained in that greeting, that's our fault. That's not your fault. I have to change the standard on that and make sure that you know the greetings before you get on the floor. And so she sat in front of me and I said, okay, no problem. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to write your own greeting. And for you, you don't have to shake anybody's hand. I'll let you slide on that part. And she kind of stopped because she couldn't believe that I had changed my standard for something. And she still ended up quitting, which was really funny because she wanted to quit anyway, but she wanted to place that blame on us for why she was quitting. And when I changed my mentality and said, okay, cool, you're a good employee. I'm going to allow you to come up with a greeting. I'm going to allow you not to do a handshake. Then from there, she quit anyway. Oddly enough, I found out she was banging the general manager. So not the new manager, the old manager. So it all kind of comes back around to the idea that people are going to do whatever they want in the first place. You can work with them. You can train them. You can educate them. You can lead them. You can inspire them. But they're going to do what it is that they want to do anyway. And that's where we are in this world within the restaurants right now. You know, we talk about service. Service is not what it was 10 years ago. Fuck, service is not what it was four, five, six years ago. Okay. Service has been completely dumbed down. We've gotten rid of all the classic styles of serving, except for the more fine dining atmosphere, some of the more upscale places. All, if you look around you right now, it's all fast casual. And the problem that we have now, because we're so fast casual is we're getting rid of servers because we're replacing with computers. You know, I just took a whole section, 90 seats, 
to be exact, away from servers downstairs because my servers are having a really hard time executing quality service. So what did I do? We created a beer garden atmosphere. You walk over to the bartender. You order from that bartender. You pay at that moment. That bartender hands you a table stand with a number on top of it. That order goes into the kitchen, and then that food gets run downstairs. I have had zero complaints for service over the last three weeks while executing this new process of, doing, of, of getting people their food. My bartender down below is rolling out the front door with cash in his pocket because he's making $275, $325, $350, $400 a shift because he's busting his ass or she's busting her ass to work behind that bar. So everybody, here's just a really quick kind of thought. We are watching the service industry and hospitality industry on a very, very slow decline because we are getting rid of servers because of the attitudes, because of the quote unquote stifling of your personalities. Okay. It's not about your personality until you can get everything done and you can execute at the highest level. It's the same thing I say to my cooks. Don't you dare bitch and moan about a server until you can execute at the highest level. When you get every single appetizer out in eight minutes and you get every single entree out in 14 minutes, that's perfect every single time. Only then can you bitch about somebody else. So let's leave it here. Um, Let's kind of keep it really simple. Um, New servers, uh, new employees that are coming in. It's not about your personality right off the bat. It's about learning the culture. It's about learning the systems and standards. And in reality, it's about the fact that you're in the hospitality industry. Once you get that down, then we'll allow you to show your quote unquote flair. So that's what I have to say about that. I hope you guys enjoyed it this week. I have an amazing, amazing guest who is coming out to you guys in just a minute. Um, And this is somebody who, oddly enough, I met on a boat in Sag Harbor. I'm up there. I was doing an event up in the Hamptons last summer. My buddy, who's been sailing around the world, uh, him and I talked, and he was going to be in Sag Harbor as I was coming out of the Hamptons. So I show up on the boat with uh, a friend and a culinary assistant um, who works in New York for uh, Restaurant Danielle. She is now the uh, banquet manager um, for the uh, the banquet chef for, for Danielle Boulot up in New York. Pretty fucking impressive, okay? Every now and then she helps me out. She came up to the Hamptons with me. We did a really cool event up at Grey Gardens, um, which if you don't know what it is, Google it. It's a really, really cool place with a great history. Plus, it was a good movie, um, which, uh, which if you get a chance, check that out as well. But so Lauren comes up, we, uh, we, we, uh, go out that night. We wake up the next morning. We end up, we all end, end up down in a Sag Harbor, park the Jeep on the beach. Matt, who is my, uh, one of my best friends, brings a dinghy in from his catamaran that he's been selling around the world, picks us up. Um, we hop out on the dinghy, this tiny little boat going out in the middle of uh, Sag Harbor, hop up onto the catamaran. And it's like it's it's like spring break out there. There's boats all around. There's people shooting champagne off and doing shots and smoking weed. And I brought a whole bunch of leftover food that I had with me from the event. So I'm now cooking food on the back of my buddy's boat. So I look over and there's these two people that are paddle boarding out to the boat. One chick like bright red hair, um, very, very attractive with another with a guy with her that she was dating. I cannot remember for the life of me what his name was, but. Uh, so this woman gets on onto the boat off of her paddle boat 
her paddleboard and we just we just connected we just clicked you know there's certain people that you meet and you connect with them and it's a really cool energy um well that's who this was so uh Megan and I talked for a good part of the day had a lot of fun kind of bullshitting back and forth she was on Ink Master um she is a just a world renowned tattooist uh who has a, a great vision I love kind of her approach to doing tattoos uh she really works with people. As she said, she doesn't really have an opportunity to speak to the person until right before they come in. Her assistant kind of vets everybody. She's that good that she vets her uh, um, her clients now. She really wants to know as much about them as possible. She gets an idea for what they're looking for, and then she does a lot of her stuff freehand. Um, on Ink Master, we talked about that for a little bit, um, so check her out over there. But ladies and gentlemen, I want you to do me a favor, and I want you to have a really cool uh, kind of sit down and a, and a listen uh, to my friend. Um, so get your uh, get your kids out of the room, put headphones on their heads so they can listen to like Barney and not us cursing because these are two tattooed people that are having a conversation about boozing, drinking, uh, smoking weed. I don't know. Talking about every single thing, relationships and tattoos, everything across the board. Um, you can check her out on Instagram and Twitter. She does a lot more on Instagram than anything else. Uh, Megan Jean Morris. So everybody do me a favor. Get ready. We are about to have a great conversation with Megan Jean Morris. And do me a favor. Check out her Instagram. Check out the Nico Hurtado piece that she has on her back of Little Red Riding Hood and the Big Bad Wolf. Right now, Megan Jean Morris. All right, everybody. So you guys heard me talk a little bit about uh, about my friend over here uh, that we're getting ready to do the full interview. So you heard all the nice things I had to say about her. Now you get to hear her. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking to the always wonderful Miss Megan Jean Morris. What's going on? Good morning. Hi, Brian. Nice to be here. It's Hi, everybody. Good. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to hear you. So, uh, so kind of a weird little way that we met. We met on a boat, and I met you while you were on a paddleboard in the middle of Sag Harbor. Yeah, that was just one of those cool times where I met a guy. Um, I stayed at his house and then he took us, took me somewhere to have dinner and we met his friends and they had, they were sailing around the world in a catamaran. Yes, and, exactly. <laughs> you know, so we just, it was just randomly meeting good people through good people. And the next day um, we wanted to do something active. I barely I barely knew anybody, but it was like a group of people that as soon as we were meeting, we all felt related. Yeah. And you were one of them. You know, it was just such a cool energy out there. It was a good day. I mean, one, it was beautiful. I was up in uh, I was up in the Hamptons the night before with my culinary assistant and we were uh, and my, my buddy just happened to be sailing through. I mean, he literally had been in Cuba and all through South America coming up from St. Martin. Um, I mean, he was on the water for probably six months at that point. So I ended up with a whole bunch of food and I was like, Hey, we're coming over. He literally took his dinghy out to the beach, brought me back out in the middle of this big boat party. And next thing I know you come rolling <laughs> up and I'm like, who's this chick? So <laughs> yeah, that boat party was so funny, man. That was so cool. Like everyone was just, 
it was like spring break, except everyone just out on their boat, like <laughs> pulling up to us, the champagne, the popping bottles. Like, I know. I have, I have videos. It was really fun. I've got oh, videos God, of, cool. of that, of that. I have like little videos of that whole day. I was doing flips, trying to hold beer cans in my hand and acting like a 15 year old. It was a good day. It was a lot of fun. So, um, but uh, I think one of the things that, that I, I mean, one, you guys were so friendly. And you guys were so awesome to talk to. And, you know, as look, I, I've got a couple of tattoos. You're, you're pretty well lit up on, on your body. You had just gotten a side piece done. Mm-hmm. The small, I yeah. guess your left side, right? My whole, entire left side. Yeah. And I, and I remember like my shoulder down to my ribs, down to my hip. And you were taking, uh, you had taken a picture and you posted it. And you, and I remember you saying, People are going to give me shit because I'm in the sun and I have a new tattoo. Yeah, and they did. <laughs> and, and, and exactly. I, to, I remember I took my shirt off because I wear like a white linen shirt to protect it often in the sun. And I took it off for a picture so that I would look cute in my bathing suit like mm-hmm. I'm actually at the beach. And just for that, people left they a gave, bunch of comments. I know. They gave I was you like, a whole bunch of <laughs> Yeah. It's like a world's famous though the one on my back it, it, it will be in history books it's i mean that that thing is absolutely amazing so nico hurtado did that to you he's one of your buddies yeah and you now now where so where was that done i mean other than he on your did back. that to me it sounds like he did he yeah. did something bad to me <laughs> he did that to you yes nico <laughs> made this tattoo um he's out in hesperia california okay and, and how- so what, what did you ask? So it is, it is a, uh, it's Little Red Riding Hood with the Big Bad Wolf. Yeah. So when you're working with artists at that level, um, you pitch your concept. If they're interested, they'll take the project on. But after that, you have very little say because the artist does what the artist sees. So Nigo took over and um, I initially wasn't planning on getting my whole butt done. He tattooed my entire ass. The left side is just completely red, red drapery. I was like, oh, my God. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I was like, what the hell? I don't want a red butt. Um, But, you know, he could see the whole piece when it was finished and what would look too busy and what would look right. And um, it's 67 hours of work so far. And we actually have two more sittings. Yeah, yeah. he wants one thing to just pass through the whole thing, but he likes to let it settle for a year first so he can really see what the ink has done. Wow. Now, I know you the, the left shoulder at that point hadn't been done and the right shoulder, the right top portion of it had been done on the left side. And you said that there was still more that had to be done on that left shoulder. Have you been back in since? I mean, this is a year ago, pretty much. I think yeah. Like- so what I did, Brian, is I'm having Josh Duffy do my sides and then I'm having then I'm going to go finish with Nico because Nico wants to brush the red into the into the sides of Josh's work. So there's it. like an order to. Yeah. You know, there's an order to do things. I had to get Josh's work first so that Nico knows where he's brushing the edges. Right. So now now it's time. I can finally go finish my back piece. <laughs> it's crazy. Like. At this, when you're working with really serious artists and you're getting such a huge piece, it's years. Yeah. It takes years. Yeah. How, uh, so, I mean, and you just went to him and said, you want a little red riding hood and he ran from there or how does that. I said, I showed up at his shop and I didn't think it was even a possibility to get tattooed by him. I mean, it's, I mean, it's just unlikely. He's got 
millions of emails coming in every year. And he just, yeah, like, it's crazy to, to actually get a piece from Nico. Um, so I just kind of schmoozed and talked for a while. And eventually I was like, so are you, you know, is it even possible to get tattooed by you? I just wanted to see, see the shop. And he was like, well, at this point, I pretty much only tattoo people I know. He's like, you know, you'd be all right. And I was like, what? Like, he had seen <laughs> my work, I guess. So I was like blown away. I was starstruck, honestly. And um, and then it was just good timing, too. Like one of those rare opportunities. Like he had taken some, some time off because he had another child. And um, he was just coming back to work. So he actually had holes in his schedule. So he, he was so excited about my concept when I pitched it to him that his eyes got like super big and he was like, when do you fly out? Let's start Sunday. Wow. So I jumped. Yeah. <laughs> so I jumped into like, like a kind of like a $20,000 project without expecting to right. in a day. Yeah. Wow. It was, shit. yeah. But, and I looked at the, my, um, my husband at the time and I said, what do I do? And he, he was cool. He was like, if Nico Hurtado says he'll do your back piece, you don't say no. Right. <laughs> I was like, okay, holy shit. <laughs> so it, I wasn't prepared mentally, emotionally, or financially, but um, I remember the first sitting that Sunday laying there and he was blocking in the pieces of the, the outer pieces, the like foundation of this huge piece. And I remember him going at one point, he was down by my ass crack and I had just this little scarf on covering me because I, I didn't wear the right clothes. I didn't bring the right stuff because I didn't know. I just was inexperienced at that point. So um, I remember him saying like, hey, don't trip, dude. I kind of got to spread them for a second. <laughs> I, I was so unprepared. I literally one little tear actually just rolled down my cheek. Cause I didn't know. I'm like, why am I in this situation where this strange Mexican is saying that to me? <laughs> it was kind of traumatized. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But now I'm, now I'm actually pretty used to being pretty naked in front of people because right. tattoo shops and getting big pieces done. So, and modeling, I've been doing some modeling. So you get used to like the crew and you're right. just like, just staring. Whatever. everyone's got one. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. <laughs> So Everyone's what, seen one if you don't got one. <laughs> all right. So, so of, and this is totally a rookie question of all of the tattoos that you have and all the pieces. I mean, at this point, you're 50% covered. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're full back, arms, sides, shins, thighs, calves. Stomach, I my mean, entire stomach. Your stomach's, oh, you're right. That's right. I did see yeah, that. That's right. You didn't see like how far this thing comes. I saw um, the I saw the Instagram picture. Okay, yeah. So it's my whole so that's stomach. It. That's right cool. up under my boobs, up to my sternum. My chest is open. A bunch of my legs are open, and one of my arms is open. Okay, so worst pain. Where was it? I think that little section where you're okay, probably where your there's a place in your body where your butt turns into your thigh. Yes. Yeah. That's For it. some of us, a nice, concise. <laughs> it's like a line. Others, it's just a drop. Smile line. <laughs> For others, it's an area. Okay. Like a, a mush. <laughs> right. Exactly. If 
but it's in that region i think that there's there was no word like in if you're saying ouch you still have a word for what's happening sure <laughs> when norm and nico were in that area norm did my lettering on the back of my thighs and nico did my ass um my jaw was just on the ground and i remember just being like what the fuck <laughs> like yeah what the fuck what the like fuck? there is not any way to express what's happening right yeah. now yeah yeah and it's just a it's sc- crazy and it's a scrape i mean that's you know i mean I, look I, i've got a couple like little pieces fine. technically it's no big deal you you have to remind yourself you're you're actually fine yeah but the nerves are very sensitive and surprisingly, right in the middle of your ass, the fat part, right. that's really, really bad. And I didn't think it would be at all. Yeah. But if you think about it, we spank people there. We touch each other there. Like, it's a very, Sensitive wherever place. nerves are close to the surface of the skin, right. that's where it's going to hurt. I know my, so the uh, butt, go ahead, go ahead, the butt, I'm listening. <laughs> the butt, and then definitely, you know, parts of, like, the ribs and the sternum were kind of out of control. Armpits, armpits were, were, they sucked on me. They were the worst. You have your armpits done? I have, so I have, I have a, I have a rooster that runs right up into here. It goes right up into my armpit and that, that fucking blew. And then I have, uh, I have a, I have Hebrew writing on the inside of this pit over here that, uh, that actually wasn't that bad, but four and a half hours of, of, you know, in on the inner bicep and, and up into my armpit just kind of blew and I'm getting the rest of it done. So. The stuff in the middle of the armpit, I guess, is not actually as bad as the stuff just around the outside of the armpit. Yeah, that's, that's why your rooster probably killed. Um, yeah, guys get super mad when I'm tattooing near their armpit. They actually get angry. It's funny watching men deal with pain versus <laughs> women. Men go to anger. And that's, it's intimidating sometimes. And I have to be like, Dude, yeah, you came to me. You're okay. Yeah, like, yeah. Do you want this or not? I get like, they get angry and they they have no one else to direct it to, so it kind of comes at me. And I'm like, I'm like, no, no. (laughs) But that's how guys deal with anger. Uh, Um, Women don't. Women go into some sort of like crazy world. (laughs) But I mean, um, when you think about the pain with that, it's I mean. Look, I'm not giving birth to a child. I can't imagine having to go through that pain. So, so I know this is going to sound kind of weird, but it's almost as if women would have a higher threshold for pain because of the fact that this is going to come out so fucking weird. But it's kind of ingrained in you already to have that. I mean, you're you're giving you're shoving a basketball out of between your legs, if you yeah. think about it in that way. So there is a higher threshold. I mean, pain for me is There's is a, no- is laughing. Like I laugh when I when I start to get pain and, and I, my guy's really good. His name's Frankie Ayers. He's out of uh, a little, a little tiny shop in Ybor city in Florida. And he's super talented and he's just a super cool kid. And the last time I went in, I showed him a picture of this watercolor drawing that I had seen on the streets in Chicago of a rooster. And I love roosters. And I joke, I got my cock on my arm. Like, why not? I'm a guy. I'm supposed to say that mm-hmm. stuff. But, but when I started to talk to him and I sent him the picture and, and he texted me back and he said, well, is this exactly what you want? And I said, no, like, creative freedom like go to town you know go through and have fun and and i i've never seen somebody light up the way that he did because i mean this is a piece that's going to be on my body for the rest of my life and and you know for me to dictate and be like no i want green on the wing instead kind of fucks with the whole process of it. 
So I just yeah, let him go. I definitely want to trust your artist. Yeah. If the artist is excited about the piece, it's going to come out way better. So you want to make sure that they get to get to make some decisions that they're happy about. He was so funny because when he was all done and he kept saying, he's like, bro, I, just, I got 10, 10 more minutes, dude, 10 more minutes. And, you know, this is four and a half hours into it. He's like, 10 more minutes, 10 more minutes. And uh, when he, when we stood up and he wiped it off and he, and he, we, we popped it up and he looked at it and he took a picture. He's like, dude, this is one of my top three tattoos that I've ever done. And I was like, I'm yeah. good. We're good. I'm happy now. I'm super yeah, stoked. So That's pretty awesome. When you get to hear that and you're the client. Yeah. That's really awesome. I've, I see, you know, sometimes that is the case and you tell people because it's amazing. Like I've done a lot of tattoos. I've done a lot of really beautiful tattoos. So for me to say that it's a pretty big deal and it happens, you know, well, how, how did, what, what brought you, I mean, what brought you to that world? I mean, it's not a normal path, you know, no, it's not. No. Um, well, I've been drawing on people since I was little. I used to get kicked out of daycares and nursery school and stuff. They'd give us like face paint and I'd paint my entire body. Um, the whole, like, I don't know, like I painted myself like a skunk. Imagine all that black. Sure. Mom loved it. Dad loved it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Super easy. I painted my best friend's body. I remember being taken outside and getting hosed down. Like they were not impressed. And then in high school, I was in middle school. I tried to be, a, I was like a popular kid kind of, I guess. And then by high school, I was like, this is terrible. These girls are crying all the time. There's drama. Like, and I started really getting into the art room as my like getaway. Right. And um, yeah, so in high school, I started really just starting to march to my own beat, I guess. I got kind of weird. And um I remember I'd be in class. I got really good grades, so I could get away with a lot. Yeah. Like I was doing technically the right stuff. Sure. So I remember sitting on my desk, like barefoot, drawing on my friends, like during class. I don't know why my teachers just let me do that, but um, I was doing full sleeves and back pieces, just a sharpie. Wow. And never, never considering it a career. I was just for fun. Yeah. And I was all through high school and all through college and they, people would ask me to do it for them. And then in college, I went to Syracuse and I got a degree in industrial design. And at the end of school, I just kept bartending. And finally, one day I said, why am I not getting a job? Like I had job offers. And I realized I just, I do, I always get what I want. And so if I'm not getting something, it's because I don't want it. Right. And that was when I realized, yeah, I just I don't want to sit in a cubicle. I don't want to be in a design office working on a computer. Um, so I was dating a guy and I helped him. He was tattooing out of his house. So with my Photoshop skills, I helped him put together a portfolio and apply for a real apprenticeship. So I saw that process. And I told him at one point that I wanted him to teach me how to tattoo and that we could travel around the world together tattooing. And he said he, it was kind of his thing. He didn't know if he really wanted me at work with him. Wow. And that traveling, Dick and then traveling around the world was, um, <laughs> Sorry. was not realistic. Yeah. He told me I wasn't being realistic. So at that moment, how, and how, I, hold on. How, how old were you then? I guess I was 20. Okay. So, so still young, not hundred percent sure which direction and how, how was he older than you? Yeah, just like a couple years. Okay. You know? All right. Not so, a lot. I got you. So go ahead. So, in that moment, you know how there's times in life where you can remember visually where you were? 
Yes. I remember sitting on the hood of a car. We were ghetto. Like I only dated street kids. I went to Syracuse for five years and I never dated a single student. <laughs> okay. You mean the, guy, the guy who stands outside the bar is your best friend. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I'm from the woods in Maine. Like I, we didn't have running water when I was little. Everyone was like very, very tough. And so we had like, when I, I was like loggers were men, you know? Right. So like when I got to Syracuse, there were Man. a lot of people who had been raised in, in suburbia. And I didn't relate to them in quite the same way. But the street kids had a little bit more of a, you know, look out for yourself and take care of yourself type of mentality, which I could relate to. Although I was always different. Like, it's not like I really fit in with them either because I also had these wholesome small town values. Right. So anyways, um, this guy told me I wasn't being realistic. And at that moment, my heart sank. I knew that we probably weren't going to work out well <laughs> because <laughs> I was going to travel the world. And um, sure enough, a few weeks later, I was painting a mural and he and his friend were watching a ways back. And I heard his friend say to him, you better watch out if she ever learns how to tattoo. And nice. I was like, oh. <laughs> well that's that i'm yeah. definitely learning how to tattoo absolutely so we, yeah you know it's, that was that was that and we broke up not because of that we were probably breaking up anyway so we broke up and um we we're doing like drugs were i did all the drugs when i was little yeah, all of them <laughs> i was a curious i was like all of them any drug i could get my hands on i would do it and that was okay. out of curiosity um and so that guy and i were you know hectic relationship because sure. there were drugs oh and so you have these terrible fights and like you can't communicate and he'd be high so i'd be like oh i should get high so that we can talk this out because right. then we'll be on the same page terrible idea not, not a good one. <laughs> like chairs <laughs> tables like <laughs> neighbors <laughs> calling cops <laughs> like okay this isn't this isn't smart so we broke up and i i went home to maine and um uh, yeah. So getting a tattoo apprenticeship is super, super hard. Right. You really, the person has very little to gain unless you're going to stay with them for five years and really be worthwhile and make them some money. Wow. Other, yeah. So otherwise, why the fuck are they going to teach you how to tattoo? You're just going to be more competition. Right. If no, you don't no. stay around. Now, how are you making them money? It's like, um, it's it's sort of like a setup, just like a hair salon. Um, you're often paying a percentage. Mm -hmm. So for every tattoo you do, they get a percentage. Okay. All right. That's one. Once but, you're a, once you're actually a valuable artist, you could do booth rentals. So that's also like a hair salon. Okay. All right. Okay. So you're hanging out with uh, with drug guy, and you're experimenting. Was there ever an addiction, or were you just an experimental? person i never had it yeah i don't think i have that kind of personality people talk about addictive personality right. and um yeah i don't i i really always like eventually feel crappy and just want to be sober again yeah um so yeah and now like I did all the drugs and I drank all the alcohol. And now um, <laughs> a few a few years ago, I actually realized the one thing I haven't done since I was 13, 12 or 13 is be sober. 
right. just completely sober. And that was actually the most curious thing to me in the world. And when I met, I was meeting a lot of successful people who were really sober and they could be really silly and uninhibited mm-hmm. without drinking. So that had my curiosity more than anything. Right. And these days I don't really drink or smoke or anything. All right, we got a little bit of break here, so I want to talk to you guys about Nogginware. So Nogginware, these are the guys that do all of my hats. Um, if you go over to Nogginware.com right now and you reach out to Scott and you tell him that I sent you and you can easily put in the code Chef Bryduff, they're going to take care of you guys. They're going to talk to you guys about the subscriptions that they have. They have these awesome hats. They're limited editions, so they work with artists, uh, cartoonists, uh, chefs, guys like me that do some stuff. They do really cool limited edition hats, plus they have a subscription for just kind of some lifestyle, some day-to-day hats that they do. They have an old glory that is one of their number one selling hats. They have this awesome pineapple hat that just is all about hospitality. Um, so go over there, check out Noggin Wear, tell them I sent you, and and it's very simple. Put the code Chef Bryduff in, and they're automatically going to take care of you. Nogginware.com. All right, now it's time for us to get back to talking to Megan because I want to hear some more about these tattoos. So you're you're. Yeah. You're, you're a challenge person. You love a challenge and you fucking go right after it. Yes, I do. And I, you know, it's so funny. Cause when I, like I, when I met you, there was, and I don't know, I mean, maybe I'm just a weird guy, but there was something about you that, that immediately attracted me to you. And it wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, you're a beautiful woman and, but there was something about your energy and we all talk about energy these days. We're all loaded with energy all over the place, but there was something about your energy that I just loved. And I remember driving home that night and I was like, I have to connect with her again. And I said this to Lauren that night. I was like, I have to connect with her again because there's just something that's awesome about her. You know, whatever the personality is or whatever that, that, that puzzle piece, there was just something about it. And you've always been very nice to me. I mean, I know how busy you are. I know how much you travel. I know how hard you work and all that. And you've always kind of like, you know, if I text you a reply or stuff like that. So it's kind of cool to, (laughs) and I know that's weird, but in this day and age, like, you know, I mean, you meet somebody, you might see them for a couple minutes and then you follow them on an ins- on Instagram or Twitter or whatever. And then it's just that. But but so I, I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that you've taken time and especially today to even have a conversation with me. So, I mean, you know, you flew in yesterday from Phoenix. You were getting another piece done. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Getting another tattoo done. Also, I tattooed some people while I was out there and I'm looking at moving. So I'm kind of like. I think I want to move west. So I was looking at landscape and, you know, just getting a sense of Arizona. <laughs> I love it out there. I mean, with, at, with the exception really of the heat. Pretty. Yeah. With the exception of the heat. Well, I think I'd really like to be on the East Coast, July, August and September. Okay. And then other than that, I'd like to be out west. Okay. I got a lot of friends out there in Phoenix and they're big fun people. So if you, uh, if you, if you need anything, let me know. One of my guys loves, he's, he's lit up on, on both arms. He's pretty awesome. Um, but, uh, if you need anything while you're out there, definitely let me know. And I can, I can try to see if I can do anything for you. So we're all connectors and that's, that's what I believe in. You know I mean? We we all have, we all have a, have a purpose and, and people intertwine it into in and out of each other's lives because they're, this is weird, but they're kind of meant to be there at that point. You know, no matter what it yeah. is, they're kind of everything just kind of matches up. So, um, all right. So, so woman in tattoo shops now, and what year is this? So, so where was your first shop? This was with this guy you were doing an apprenticeship with. Where was that? Okay. Okay. So it was 2005 okay. uh, or 2006, actually. 
and um, I was in Maine because I had gone home. I was really destroyed after my breakup. Um, oh, my head! My headphones are getting low. Do you want to see if you can hear me? Like, yeah, I mean, them? you're fine. You sound absolutely perfect, so you don't have to worry about it at all. And there's no, I mean, there's no, there's no feedback. So we're good. And I know you're doing it through a Bluetooth. So we're good. Okay. When they, so yeah, when they die, just make sure it's still good. Okay. So anyways, I'm out in the woods and, um. What part of Maine? I, yeah. I'm up near Sugarloaf, the ski resort. Okay. I gotcha. Uh, yeah. Little town of Farmington. It's really like, it's like the last real town before you're just out in very like, in like townships. Okay, so I grew up north of Farmington, but my mom moved me down to Farmington to get some schooling. Um, and then I went home after the breakup. I was in Syracuse. I went home. I was really destroyed. And I felt like I had nothing to lose. So I went into this tattoo shop. There were only two in town, and one had a really good reputation. So I went there, and I was dressed in these crazy, like, New York arts artsy clothes like the guys looking back the guys must have thought I was like completely nuts I think I had a neon felt green cowboy hat I don't know like that doesn't sound good <laughs> anywhere but yeah but in 2006 it works it made sense like it was yeah it was a stamp from a sample fashion show or whatever so in Maine they were just like what the hell and I I don't know I can't even describe the outfit I was wearing so they, I went in there and like the guy owning the shop didn't even stop tattooing. So I talked to like the guy that was working there and I just introduced myself and explained that I'm interested in learning about tattooing and possibly, you know, trying to get an apprenticeship and that I would just come back sometime when Adam was available. So I, I kept going back and I brought some drawings and I, I said, I know you're not going to hire me right off the bat but maybe we could work on a project for me. And then during that process, you could get to know me a little bit and see if you'd want to hire me. And meanwhile, I couldn't actually afford a tattoo. <laughs> so um, I would just keep coming back and like showing him some drawings. And then while I was there, I'd ask if I could sweep the floor or clean the bathroom. And I would always like bring them coffee when I came. Sure. So they like having, you know, if you do it right, you want to be there enough so that it's convenient, but not too much. So it's not annoying. Right. You want to be you there. So it's, fine. it's a fine line of, yeah, you want them to want you around. And eventually one day Adam actually asked if I would be there maybe three days next week. Um, cool. Yeah. So I was like, so ecstatic. You don't even know, like, I can't even tell you I was, it meant the world to me. I couldn't believe he actually asked me to be there. And Doug was showing me how to make needles. We used to make our own needles. It's very old school because it, it, it was 10 years ago. And then on top of that, Maine is 10 years behind. I so, love and I know I love yeah. it up there. So, yeah, it's really it's behind in time. So we were making our own needles. And I was I was part of my apprenticeship was like cleaning their motorcycles. Like it was super <laughs> old. school. You know? And I, I'm so lucky. Like I had to learn how to put a machine together. I had to, I had to trace cherry creek flash and bullseye flash and it's stuff that people don't do in apprenticeships anymore. They just want to be the artist they are. Sure. And like, yeah. 
if you don't learn application and you don't learn respect, you're missing a huge part of what tattooing used to be, at least. It, it was a world of etiquette. Um, Which was so amazing. I, I it was really the same thing that. in kitchens. It was the same thing in kitchens. You know, that apprenticeship, that idea of, uh, I mean, I remember standing in a kitchen and having a chef throw shallots at the back of my head and screaming at me and being like, that's not any shallot. That's a fucking four season shallot. Like I, I love, and this is actually, it's funny. This is where I'm going to actually with this question is there's something that's so amazing about that camaraderie, that, that respect of having somebody above you that knows, and you're dying to get as much information from that person as possible, you know, while still holding true to yourself and who you are and really trying to find out yourself. I mean, what is that like as a woman? And I hate to do it that way because, you know, you're an artist and, and no need to, to do that. But in that time, 2006, tattoos were, weren't really where they are now. I mean, what is that like for you to, be, to have actually, that and then given that responsibility? Actually, it's a very valid question. I, I was careful never to, to focus on that because you have to not focus on it um, on your way up. Because your job is to earn respect. And the way you earn respect is treat yourself like, like anyone else gets treated. Um, you just, it's all about your work. And on my way up, I was very careful not to post pictures of myself that were sexy or even about me. I just wanted it to be work, 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 work. Right. And um, once in a while, an insight to who I am. But mostly at the shop, I, you know, you you want to dress appealing just like anybody, but I was there to work. It wasn't sexy dress. I actually had to be very careful because it's hard to get hired as a woman because the dude's wives never want you around. I almost didn't get my apprenticeship because of, because of his wife. And I was really upset about that. It's very, um, it was like, wow, it was very disheartening. It was like, man, it can really stop me just because, you know, because I'm a female and there's nothing I can do about that. Um, so you want to be super down to earth. You want to make sure that the other women in the picture are not, um, you want to be respectful towards them Sure. make sure that they understand you're trying to get a chance at something. And you're in and their space. You have, yeah. In reality. That you have no, yeah, you're in their space and, um, your, your focus is where it's at that you have no, you, you don't want to be distracted by sometimes you almost have to get a boyfriend actually just so that you can be like, see, I'm busy. My attention's taken. Right. You know, either for men. So other men don't hit on you or think there's an option or for their wives. So they don't feel uncomfortable. I mean, sometimes there, you really have to read it out and, um, and be aware that that's part of it. But yeah, as a woman, um, I had to just constantly not think of the fact that I was a woman right. and just try and make sure that what I was bringing to the space was focus on the work and focus on, on being able to handle whatever they threw at me. What was, what was some of the fun shit that they threw at you? Cause I, I mean, I love apprentices. Yeah. I mean, I joke, I, I said to my chef the other day in my place, I said, we need to get our cooks back to the fun of this industry. You know, it's such a business now. We need to cut labor costs. We've got to cut food costs. We've got to cut liquor costs. We've got to cut across the board. I, I miss the days of sending a kid downstairs. You know, I don't know if you've ever been in a kitchen or not, but, you know, to find a left-handed spatula, you know, to find a bucket yeah. of steam, like, you know, to go outside and have to, like, there was so much shit that I had to do as an apprentice 
that I loved. I mean, it, it made me who I am today, which is that sarcastic motherfucker who's standing in a kitchen singing songs when you're changing my recipes in front of me. You know, I mean, so I mean, and, and so what was some of the shit that they made you do? I mean, we're talking about 11 years ago. You know, what what were what was some of the fun shit that you had to do other than clean their bikes? Um, okay, my headphones died. Do I sound okay, okay still? <laughs> you sound awesome. Keep going. Okay. Um, well, I think the first thing that <laughs> they thought was funny is the very first thing I had to do when I got there, Adam put me in a room with like this big, huge, burly truck driver guy and said, okay, go ahead and prep this guy for me. And it had never occurred to me that part of being a tattooer was going to be shaving men's bodies. <laughs> so, you know, just funny shit that the guys knew what was about to happen. They'd set me up and just kind of like laugh their asses off while, while watching right. my reactions. Um, they, well, one time when Adam was tattooing me, um, Doug was in the room. He was actually tattooing my armpit. Okay. So we were like four hours in on my armpit and he and Doug must have decided that it would be really funny. Like with silent eye contact that, um, he decided to wipe instead of using water. He wiped my armpit with rubbing alcohol. Oh fuck. And the two of them fucking. I didn't even know what had happened. My body tensed up so quickly that it popped my whole thing and like levitated off of the table. I still didn't even know what had happened. I <laughs> like what the, like it didn't register my brain before it hit all my nerves. Right. So those two were like pissing their pants. Um, I don't know. I don't really remember. We just had some cr crazy ass customers. I mean, this was pretty deep in the woods. Right. So, so you know, I think just had a fun time watching me deal with um, different requests and they knew the people that were coming in. I didn't know them. And so what, what's it, I mean, what's it like now? I mean, 11 years later where, you know, tattoo, I, I always laugh at the, there's a meme that I saw a long a couple, couple months ago and it was a picture of a guy standing there and he's got neck tattoos. And it says, remember when neck tattoos meant badass motherfucker. And now it means check out my vegan bicycle. Like, I, I mean, uh, and that's, I mean, so where, where does that, what is that shift like for you? I mean, obviously it's got to be great for business. You're unbelievably talented. You've got a great shop. Where does that put you now? I mean, how are you, what are you seeing now compared to 11 years ago? I think it's, it's crazy for everybody right now. Um, and then I'm at the sort of the, a high tier in, um, in, in the tattoo industry. So right. not only has tattooing become really acceptable and everyone's getting one. So there's lots of jobs for lots of artists. Um, but me, like I have a personal assistant. I don't deal with any initial conversations. Right. She goes through everyone's initial re requests and um, she weeds out whether it's a project that fits me as an artist or not. She prepares them to be very open-minded. She right. prepares them for the price. She, by the time they get to me, they are an open canvas, an awesome person, ready to work. We're, together, we're going to create this piece of art. Um, I do eight out, like my minimum is a five hour sitting, but generally doing like eight to 10 hours a day. I only do one tattoo a day. 
Um, sometimes I'm doing 12 to 14 hours. So my clients are really serious about what they're collecting. And I always, I mean, we create the artwork together. Like rarely do they come with an image and I just, you know, create that. Right. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a whole different experience now than it was. I mean, I was, being, I was trying to draw, draw projects for people for 20 bucks. Right. You pay know, the bills. I was living, yeah. When I started, I was living in a one room apartment and I don't mean a studio loft or anything. Right. I mean, it was a, it was a bedroom and I shared a bathroom with whoever was renting the bedroom next door. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. And I had like, I mean, it was small and it, I was eating leftovers. My friends would give me their leftovers for lunch and dinner. And I was drawing and doing anything I could for 20, not anything I could. Right. No, no, I got you. I got you. There's, there's still a respect there. So now I'm like, you know, five hour minimum. Right. And I don't draw anything at a time. It's crazy the level of trust that I have now. I mean, my freehand pieces, people come in and I draw, we talk about what they want and then we lay out an idea but I draw the drawing right on them with Sharpie and no, neither one of us knows videos. what it's like. I love those you know, videos. Yeah. yeah. The time They're lapse crazy. you do with them are amazing. Like, it's crazy because Josh did a little freehand on me and it's like, shit, I do this to people every day. Yeah. Like you have no idea what I'm about to blast your arm out with. See, I love that. I, that to me is awesome. It is awesome. It keep, the artwork feels awesome. Like the whole process is very alive. Yeah. It's exciting. So, and this, it's funny, this is directing me right into the next question, which I mean, for you, what is it like? Look, I get to feed people. Okay. What I give them, they go home with, and guess what? They're getting rid of it in a couple hours. It's the way that it works. But you are literally putting something onto somebody's body that is a piece of you for the rest of their life. So how, I mean, how, how, what is that? I don't know. To me, that's like fucking awesome. Like that to me is the coolest thing because as an artist in the world that I live in with food and, and I'm starting to find another medium for stuff that I do, but you're literally putting something on somebody's body. That's going to be there for the rest of their life. There's a story behind that for the rest of their life, because every tattoo has a story to it. And it's the greatest story that's ever been told. We all have these worlds and you're there for the rest of their life. What does that feel like, Megan? (laughs) (laughs) Um, When I get present to it, which isn't all the time, but when I stop and like I'm present to that, um, which usually there's a point right before every tattoo that I'm like real aware of the fact that I'm about to do this on a chunk of their skin forever. Um, Man, that's fucking stressful. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's so stressful, dude. Like, you get, you just before, like, every good tattooer pretty much will tell you that before every tattoo, we just hope we do it right. right. We hope we do it well. Like, I mean, the thing's not made. There's no guarantees. We're not machines. Right. You know, so before every tattoo, you're like, fuck, this could be cool. If I do this right, it should be cool. Yeah. You know, like, but now I have to make it. So before every time, you're like, Jesus. And then afterwards, you know, you're, you really, really hope the person loves it. You kind of wish you could be around for the next few weeks while they 
a good tattoo, like you love it right when you get it, but you love it more every day. As it grows, yeah. 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 Like there's something about it where like you love it at first, but you actually love it more over time. And you kind of wish you could see that. That's yeah. that's really cool. Um and I don't know, it's just so crazy. Like people are surprised I remember so much when I see them. I don't really remember names usually, but I'll remember what their kids are going through or what, you know, what, where they were at with their job or where, you know, if their mom was sick or if the dog made it like, well, and you're, you know, you're, you're seeing a whole side of people that most people don't get to see. I mean, I, I mean, visually and, and spiritually and emotionally at the same time, you're having a conversation with somebody that you're sitting there in your case, eight, 10, 12 hours. And you're, I mean, you're digging in. So what are your kids like? I mean, what, you know, I mean, are, are there points where you're just so focused that you're not talking for a half hour, 45 minutes talking at all, where you're just going to town? Yeah. There's parts in the tattoo where I'm, I have to think a lot. I'm making a lot of decisions and people don't always, they usually don't realize that and they'll try to talk with me. Right. And cause it looks like I'm just drawing and people somehow have this idea like, Oh, if someone's doing art. They're just having fun. And it's like, <laughs> well, actually what's happening is an artist is generally really frustrated while creating the art because what we're doing is we're fixing it. We're right. fixing it full time because it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. Right. When it looks good, you're done. Yeah. Yeah. So whole time you're in pain. You're like, <laughs> oh. Oh, this isn't it. This isn't right. Like, oh my God, it's driving me nuts. And then suddenly you're like, wow, this is starting to look pretty cool. Right. And then you've got a little bit of work left to do, you know, yeah. but at that point you're about two thirds of the way done. And that's when, you know, at the end of the tattoo, I'll be real chatty and I'll talk and like, I'll relax, I'll relax a lot. In the beginning, I'm like really trying to look ahead, picture what this thing needs to look like. And then Tattooing you have to do in, in a very specific um, order. Okay. So you have to look way ahead at what you need and then and then tattoo the steps to get there. So, um, yeah, it's it's intense for sure. And yeah. then being on someone forever is like, you, you know what I've realized? Um, it's almost more important, believe it or not, that the person has a good experience with you. Like they feel heard and listened sure. to and that they end up with a design that they feel like you were working with them. So it's hard as an artist, you have to tell someone, no, that's not a good idea. This will look better. Right. But you have to do it in a way that you're giving them respect and you're taking into consideration what they were concerned about and why they had thought they wanted it a certain way. Right. Because if you do if you don't do that. The person feels intimidated and cut off. Totally. And then you see something on them forever. No matter and what. And no matter how that tattoo is, when someone compliments it, that person's always going to think about the experience they yeah. had while they got it. And they're going to be like, mm. oh, thanks, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah, that kind of a jerk. Or cost, like, cost, yeah. me, cost me three grand. Right. You know? Like that's what we care for them. Instead of, instead of having this once in a time once in a lifetime experience with a great living artist who really understood who they were and put their heart and soul into trying to express it on their body for them. Yeah. You know, that's a cool, like 
So I, I've realized, and that's because I get tattooed a lot. And I think it's important for tattooers to get tattooed because you, and pay for it. Right. Because you want to know what it's your clients are. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I know my, my guys, my guys good. And when I first walked in and, and uh, so I have four, four, four pieces from him and it's kind of neat to see the transition or see the progression from, from tattoo one to tattoo four, you know, that one, two, three, yeah, four. Um, and it's so cool. Cause every time I go down there, I may not, I may not get tattooed. He's always like, Hey, let me do my touch-ups. Let me get the touch-ups. And you know, I'm either bang, I'm either getting banged up on the street or hanging out with too many friends to go in and, and get it done. But he's awesome. Cause I love to see that progression of him as a human and as an artist from the one sugar skull with a meat fork, you know, that's on my right bicep to this, this 22 color, four and a half hour, you know, rooster that's kicking up sand. That's looking back at you. Like you're a piece of shit or, Hey, I just won, you know? So it's kind of cool to have that. And, and, and every now and then I'll text him and just be like, Hey brother, just want to let you sh- see this. And, um, like there's a relationship that's built with that. And, and that, I mean, I, be- I believe in relationships anyway, but it's kind of cool to watch. So I don't know. It's amazing. I mean, it's, we're real people, you know, and as a client, they'll see you go through things. You're going to see us go through things too. It's a, it's a very unique relationship because it's one that over the years you really do keep in touch and you're there for a few hours. So you really talk about some shit Yeah. and like, you see people have kids, you see them get married, you see them get divorced, you see them buying houses, you see them get through illnesses, you know, and it could be you seeing your artist go through that stuff yeah. or your artist seeing you go through it. He does. Yeah. I, I, I have seen him do that stuff and we have had those conversations. It's kind of wild. So, all right. Yeah. So, so let's, uh, so, you know, I mean, Ink Master, you did it. What was your, and I think we discussed my brother was one of the creators of that show because my brother was at Spike. Um, what was that? I mean, what was that like? I mean, look, reality TV sucks. There's, there's, there's so many of us, the reality TV stars that are out there at this point. I mean, look, I can cook, I can do all that stuff, I can yell and scream at somebody, but you're literally showcasing your art, your talent, your body, your spirit in these fucked up situations. I mean, how as how did you work through that process from I'm a serious artist to now I've got to create something in a corner with 47,000 people watching me? So, yeah, I had a lot of people in the industry try to tell me not not to do the show, not to do reality TV or whatever. And the thing is, is like. uh, I don't I just don't I'm like. I don't give. I just don't really give a fuck. I was like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, how are you gonna tell me anything? I mean, I just I had already proved myself in the industry, and I've always I was really, like I said, you know, drugs, sex, you know, going to school, following the path, not following the path. Like, I've always been a curious person. And we live in a generation where reality TV has like hit the fucking fan. Like all of us, it's like massive. Yeah. It's like when we look back in time, this will be the age of reality TV. Sure, We are living idiocracy right now. If you ever saw the movie idiocracy, it's exactly what we are doing at this point right now. It's happening. (laughs) happening. Yeah. When he he forgets how to make ice cubes, shit's done. When I listen to rap music, I'm just real clear. <laughs> that, 
Yeah. So I hope that offends all sorts of people out there. I don't give a fuck. Um, and I, I do like rap music, but so I, I but think I get it's it. completely retarded too. Yeah. Um, so reality TV, same thing. I, I like reality TV um, and I think it's completely ridiculous. Um, so I was like, yeah, I totally want to go see what that's about. You know, this is like something that's happening in the world at this time. And I'm curious about it. And um, I was sick of doing conventions. I had dated a tattooer and it went terribly. And I didn't want to see him or any of his friends. And um, so the show called me at just the right time and um, asked me if I would come be on the show. And I thought, yeah, go stay in a loft where I don't know anybody and I'm not allowed to talk to anyone I know. and like barely tattoo a couple times a week I thought that sounded perfect (laughs) so I was like absolutely and what I didn't know is that you can't leave the loft (laughs) you're mic'd up 9 a.m to 9 p.m yep you there's no place to get like the comp the competitive environment is pretty intense you know, they make it intense because they want you to have intense emotions while you're there. So there and there's nowhere to get anxiety out. There was no place to work out. Um, once a week, someone would walk us to a gym, which is not enough for me. The guys in the guys room. Oh, and then that was a weird place to be a female, because on my season, often I was the only female. There was two of us to begin with. And then Ashley got kicked off and then Sarah came on for like one second. So it was just me with all of these dudes and I was separated. I had my own bedroom. So I was missing out on a lot of the little camaraderie and groups that would form and those guys would work together. Um, So that was super shitty, honestly. Um, And the guys had like a punching bag in their room and weights. And I was like, where the fuck is my treadmill? Right. You know, like my bathroom didn't have a lock on it. All this weird shit. I was just like, okay, no, like, that's not okay. Like, it was kind of uncomfortable um, during my season. Like, there are other seasons that have a bunch of girls. But, um, and then it's a tough place to be an artist. Um, Obviously, basically can't do your artistic process there. Uh, the first tattoo, we had more time to design and I, I did win. I won all the tattoos I should have won, like anything that was in my style. Right. But the truth is, is when you've really made it as a tattooer in the tattoo world, you've mastered a style. Okay. And I use the word master lightly because you can always be better, Sure, but you've sort of like focused and that's how you make a name for yourself. People know what you have to offer and they come to you for that specifically. Right. So the show, what the show is testing is your, your well-rounded ability to tattoo all these different styles. So it's, it was weird because I spent my whole life trying to master one style and that to me looked like winning. And now I was in a situation where the winners are, if you watch the show, usually the winners are not the best tattooer at anything. They're high end mediocre at a bunch of different styles. Right. Because that's what that show is testing. Sure. Um, so that was that was different for me. I, it did make me grow as an artist. It made me study and learn different styles and start really appreciating them, which has actually changed my artwork now. Um, 
And the experience was cool. At first, it was an adjustment, but eventually I was like, okay, we're here to make TV, not artwork. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that became fun. I mean, a lot of what we're doing, some of the drama's real, some of it's kind of just people having fun. Um, you know, they decide to make a scene. They're like, hey, let's make a really good scene. Yeah, you ready for this? I'm going to come at you, you know, and then they like go in. Um, some of it's real. Some of it was really pushing real buttons and people got upset. Um, and after seeing, rea- after being on a reality TV show, I actually understand politics better yes, and what the do. politicians are doing. So, yeah, yep. I really do. I'm like, oh, I understand the way they run their campaigns differently. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um, I think reality TV was a good thing as as a business person to actually study and understand right so that was good it's full exposure yeah so and and, and it's a personality that people are you know i mean people are are falling in love with or hating you know i mean i've got my haters i've got my haters and they love to let me know how much they fucking hate me and i love to let them know how much i love that they hate me uh you know uh i mean it doesn't uh, somebody somebody once sent me something that said uh uh what the hell was it um you may not be a fan, but you're still thinking of me. So guess what I want? You know, like something to that effect. Totally. And, some yeah. people's technique was some some artists came on the show saying, well, it's pretty unlikely I'm going to win, but I'm going to make sure people remember me. Absolutely. Be memorable like, that you can, yeah. Like yeah. a lot of people can't even name the winners of Ink Master, but they can name everybody Saint else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some, sometimes I mean, they hate it. I mean, it's fun, you know, when, in my world of, of, you know, rescue and, and with a lot of the food TV shows, especially the ones that are out there with the competition stuff, it's funny because the winners almost are the ones that are forgotten. Uh, it, it's always that runner up or that third person that, you know, or that, that second person that got booted off for calling so-and-so a dickhead in the middle of a shift, you know? Um, and, and they're the ones who do get the memories, you know, they're the ones who do, I do appearances with, with chefs all the time and they're like, yeah, I got kicked off number six of hell's kitchen. You know, like I was a six one that got booted and, you know, now he's doing appearance, getting paid 10 grand to show up and yell at somebody. So uh, it, it's, it's kind of funny to watch that stuff. It's such a fucked up world, this reality TV stuff. I laugh at it all the time, but yeah, it pays the bills. It's just funny how much people believe it. Like, well, I just can't believe how much people believe it. That's weird to me. Like, exactly. I mean, yes, some of it's real, but man it's it's a fucking tv show it's about it ratings and it's at the a end pre- of the day there's a company and they want to make money right like come on folks yeah i mean i've, I've said all along you it's know? you know we can talk about reality all day long but what they are is a lot of times that they're produced responses you know you do your otfs how did you feel about you know uh joe's tattoo well i thought it was good okay well why was it good tell me more about it explain that to me you know that that 30 second little snippet of information was a five minute in rea- you know produced response in a lot of cases you know to make the yeah. drama come out. The producers told me um, out of all of the real this producer Matt specifically was like he's done a lot of reality TV shows and he did say Ink Master is the least scripted show that he's ever worked on. There's very little like I never saw a script, um, right. except the only thing is what they will do is make sure they get a shot of you in every single outfit saying every single thing. So no matter what they need to do, they yeah. can edit it 
and put something together. Sure. However, however they want. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> They're crazy. So how long were you, how long were you away for, for that? Was that eight weeks? Uh, about a month and a half. Okay. Yeah. Two months. Lovely. All right. So what's going on with you now? So you've got your place and how's, I, I just mean, sold my shop. You did. I sold my shop. Holy yep, shit. Congratulations. Week. That's awesome. I'm changing, changing my life, Brian. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's one of those times I, I feel like I do this about every five years. It's been six, so it's a little overdue. Um, I'm selling my house. I sold my shop and I'm moving somewhere. You don't know where you think West. Yeah. I have a huge opportunity in New York. I'm considering, but I'm pretty sure my spirit needs to go West. I want space. I want mountains. I want warmth. Um, I have a relationship with someone who sucks at relationships. Yeah. Um, so that's still there. Um, <laughs> that's actually, I've been dating this guy who I met on the show and we really love each other, but he is like the worst at relationships. So I've been kind of like, you know, we break up all the time because he starts dating someone else. And then right. I'm just like, all right. I'll go, you know, all right, dude, each time it gets harder. So I'm like, well, yeah, he still wants to talk. So I'm like, we can be friends, but I need space. I need time to like adjust my feelings. Right. And so this time I really went away for a while and that made him realize how much he missed me. And then he came down to visit me when I was in Arizona. And um, I'm very like, I'm trying to make this big decision as to whether I should, where to move. And I'm not sure whether I should let that him and my relationship with him affect it or not. So I kind of believe in um, signs from the universe and all, and like trying to like pick up the information that the universe is trying to send me. Right. I know that sounds cheesy, but I live in the same world, you know, I'm kind of like, what am I supposed to do? You know? Yeah. So I'm just, I'm getting my whole life ready to go and I'm just waiting to see where I'm going to go. Well, I, I, yeah. I, I, no, hey, I, look, I, I get it. I understand it. You know, I've had a lot of transitions in my life in the last, you know, 18 years, 17 years of just different directions. And, you know, I had a, I had an awakening, God, nine years ago of what I wanted to do. I was never going to say no again. I was literally going to do everything in my power to just experience, you know, I mean, and go around the world and put myself in situations that I would normally not put myself in and and. You know, and then and then about two years ago, I had another just like this massive epiphany of what it is that I'm doing and where I'm going. And and the funny part is at the same exact time, I realized that my oldest daughter was only going to be living here for another three years. She was going to be going away to college. And that just kind of stopped everything, you know, and it, and it tr- I mean, trust me, it fucked up relationships that I've had. It's made uh, I mean, you know, I, there's there there's a wake of 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 mistakes that I've made in the last two years. That, uh, that, that are weird, you know, but we learn from them and we grow. And, and as long as you're not like a fucked up person to them and you're not a dickhead to people, then guess what? It yeah. all kind of comes back to you in a positive way. And we take all those things for, for experience. And that's what I live my life through. Um, I, I mean, I have yeah. on, I have on my arm, I've got a saying that, it, that I, that I wrote years ago, that is that the art of the preparation creates the experience. Like everything that we do is in preparation for an experience that we're going to see down the road. And, mm-hmm. and that's a huge part. I mean, it's kind of double entendre in there because of the, you know, preparation with food and, and, but it really means a lot more in life with me 
that everything that I've done leading up to right now is supposed to kind of be happening. I'm not, I'm not the guy who says everything happens for a reason. Cause you know what, when you don't pay your car payment for three months, your car gets repossessed. Don't tell me it's that everything happens for a reason. There's a, there, there, there is a power. There is a force that leads us there. So, um, so I have taken up one full hour of your life and I absolutely love it. And I thank you so much <laughs> for hanging out with me because it's something that I've wanted to do for a long time is to have a conversation with you. And, um, you know, just that one day, like I said, there was that weird kind of connection that I felt that you were a person that I was very interested in. That was somebody that your artistic ability and just kind of the way you lived your life was something that I liked. So I, uh, I, I, I hope that whatever you do, and I know it's going to be fucking awesome. And I can't wait to kind of follow and watch. And I hope that you and I can keep in touch and I can show up in Phoenix one day and we can go out and have some drinks or something. I don't know what it is, but that's the way that it go, works. We'll so. rent a bike and go for a ride. Oh my God. I am riding. I'm leaving June 12th. I'm heading out to Spokane, Washington, and I'm riding from Spokane up into Glacier National Park. And then I'm riding from Glacier down into Missoula, Montana. Missoula over to Yellowstone. Uh, and I, I paired up oh, with this God. great Harley dealership out there called Lone Wolf, which is perfect for me because I'm just kind of a lonely guy sometimes. And uh, they're giving me yeah. a bike and I'm getting the opportunity to go and take a little trip and have a little bit of fun and just see parts of the world that I've never seen. So I'm really stoked. So Dang, that is awesome. Yeah. And if just, I were, I'm going to Florida with a friend to tattoo. If I didn't have that trip planned, I would try to tag along come on up come on up where uh where in florida are you gonna be tattooing um on the beach somewhere <laughs> nice. i forget like i don't know yeah i forget my it's mark longnecker's shop he was also an ink master oh cool uh-oh kitty cats nice. everywhere yeah i just All let right. my kitty in so uh so do me a favor uh where can we find you and how can we follow you um, I think the best thing is just Instagram and it's okay. just my name, Megan Jean Morris. That's the most updated thing. You know, Facebook works too. Um, but my website isn't always current. Okay. Um, so I'd say just Instagram, just, you know, Megan Jean Morris, That's Facebook it. or Instagram, and you'll be able to see, I post where I'm going to be. I post if I'm going to be tattooing, if there's openings and, Basically, anything I'm creating, I put up there. See, I told you you guys would love her. Megan is awesome. Hopefully, we're going to be able to hop on a bike. I'm going to get up to Connecticut or out to Phoenix. Who knows what's going to happen? But uh, Megan's pretty awesome. So, Megan, thanks so much for hopping on with us. Uh, you know, everybody uh, kind of gets to check out a different side of the world. It's not all about chefs and hospitality. Um, but uh, we did love what you had to say. So thank you so much for coming on. Um, with that, everybody, this has been another super long show. Sometimes just getting uh, the basics of conversation down is uh, can be a lot of fun and, um, you know, can just kind of start flowing. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, check out Megan Jean Morris uh, on her Instagram. That's pretty much where she flourishes the most uh, through her social media. And that's at Megan Jean Morris. So definitely hop out there and check her out. Um, as she said, she sold her tattoo shop, but I know you guys are going to be able to see her uh, and her work kind of all over the place. So definitely check her out. Um, with that being said, I'm going to get out of here uh, because I'm ready to go and uh, bang out some seafood. 
over here in uh, the Pacific Northwest at the Crave uh, Northwest Food Festival that's going on out here. Um, but uh, a couple people I want to thank. One, I want to thank our sponsor, Nogginware. Get over to Nogginware.com, type in the code Chef Bride Duff, and you guys can get something special from them. Also, did you guys know that everything that they do is all free shipping? Um, Scott hates for, uh, shipping as much as I do, uh, which is pretty awesome. So all of his stuff is free shipping. And there's always a little gift in every single box. That may make you a little bit smarter. You never know. Definitely get over to nogginware.com. Check those guys out. Thank you to a couple of people. One, always Miss Maggie Gagliardi, who does all of our illustrations for our promo pieces for the show. Amazingly wonderful, talented artist and just a super cool chick at the same time. So check her out. I want to thank my good friend, Michelle uh, Stockman out there in Breeze, Illinois, because of the fact that she does all of our website work. Um, she does websites for all my clients, as well as all of my websites. And I have a whole bunch of them. So thank you so much, Michelle, for that. And then uh, last but not least, we want to thank the boys over there at RadioInfluence.com. Definitely check them out. Check out all these other podcasts that are going on that these guys have. The one with Ian Beckles is purely awesome. I love listening to Ian talk. And I know you guys as well. So um, I know you guys will as well. Um, that's what I have to say. You guys can all follow me at Chef Bride Duff, C-H-E-F-B-R-I-D-U-F-F. And that is on Instagram and Twitter. I hope you guys have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you so much. And I'll talk to you later. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified check mark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. I'm Jerry Petuck, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out radioinfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>